taking risks, being memorable is important. These admissions officers are reading thousands of applications. If your essay is about how you traveled somewhere and you learned XYZ, or this was a hardship that you faced, well, you can talk about that, but try to make it memorable because the person reading your application is going to forget about it in five minutes if it's generic and if it's boring. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming Today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. today with Christopher Rim, CEO of Command Education, about the changes your teen can expect for the SAT. <laughs> so the college board, Chris, making some changes. Um, tell me exactly what they did. So they, they discontinued some subject tests as well as the essay? Yeah, so there's been a lot of different changes just over the past um, really half a year with the SAT and college board and you know, all, everything kind of surrounding uh, standardized testing from APs and so forth. But just recently this week, they've announced effective immediately in the U.S. that the SAT subject tests are no longer a thing. So students who've been preparing for these exams for the past year or so, um, it's not going to really matter anymore. All test dates have been canceled and international dates are going to be canceled um, just over the next five, six months as well. So the SAT subject tests are no longer a thing. It, is this because of the pandemic or were they just not popular in the admissions process? So I think it's a really it's a combination of both. You know, SAT subject tests are one hour um, exams that are that are really focused on one subject. So maybe it's physics or maybe it's chemistry or U.S. history. Unlike the SAT one, which is really math and reading and the essay component, um, this SAT subject has really allowed a student to showcase their um, academic um, rigor and like their knowledge, really, um, in specific subjects. But I think a lot of schools value them. I think this past cycle, due to the pandemic, uh, Yale and MIT were two of the only top schools that said, you know what, we're not even going to consider your SAT subject tests. So wow. they really didn't put any value or emphasis on these subject tests, which is a huge um, turn from really the past years. You know, Georgetown w always said that they want to see three subject tests, uh, and that's what they recommended. And when a school or college says that they recommend something from an applicant, you pretty much want to do it. It's pretty much a requirement. I mean, we're going back a long time now, but I remember doing very well on my subject tests better than I did on the SAT. And I felt like that helped me get into schools because in a sense, it kind of boosted my SAT score, um, just showing maybe some areas where I, I did better. I'm just, I'm just trying to think, you know, for, for parents, they're saying, okay, where's Junior going to go? Is, is this a good thing for, for, for kids as they apply to college or a bad thing? Or does it just depend on the type of student you have? So I think it really depends on the type of student um, you have. But really, at the end of the day, I do think, like, all in all, it is a good thing. You know, these tests are completely coachable. If you have the time, you work hard, you have the right resources, like, like all the um, workbooks, the practice books, and the right tutors and the team, you can study hard and you can get the exams. I mean, get, get the scores you need on these exams, as long as you have those resources. So 
it doesn't really showcase how smart a student is if you're able to get near perfect or perfect on these um, on these standardized tests. And actually, I'm kind of happy that this is gone because now students will have more time to focus on their school coursework, on their extracurricular activities in school, and really do something that they're interested in and passionate about instead of cramming for these exams five to 10 hours a week by practicing and getting tutoring and so forth. And saving their families money in the process, right? Because all exactly. that tutoring costs money. The test prep industry is worth how much in the U.S.? I think it's worth over $300 million. Um, I think, I mean, it's growing. I mean, that's just, you know, there's a lot of private companies. I actually think... Um, it's over a billion dollars globally, um, for sure. Um, You know, there's a lot of places. I mean, I work with a lot of international students in Saudi, in Dubai, in Singapore, Hong Kong, and they're spending tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars just for tutors and for prep work to so that students have all the resources. Is that so they can go to a university in the United States? Correct. Okay. Let's talk about that because college is obviously struggling right now financially, getting students um, to, 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 to sign up. I, I mean, they, a lot of kids are saying, a lot of families are saying, well, it's just not worth X amount of dollars when I'm taking a class online, or I don't know if I'm going to be sent home. And I think before the pandemic, the, the value of a college degree had changed negatively, in my opinion. So where do colleges stand now? Yeah, so I think it really, it's clear to make that differentiation between like a top like let's say an ivy league or top 10 top 15 school um because like in the u.s there's like what a little over 900 a thousand um universities that students can choose from right so it's very very different when we're talking about a school that's ranked um between like 60s to 70s compared to a school that's ranked between 1 and 20 you know it's very very different i think the value of an ivy league education or Stanford or MIT or any of these top schools will hold, I really think it's going to hold its value. So, and that's what we're seeing. International students are only wanting to apply to these top tier schools. They don't necessarily care about all these other schools, even though they might be an incredible university or be the right fit. You know, at the end of the day, these parents are looking for the brand name schools. Harvard will always be Harvard is essentially the bet that they're making. And the pandemic will be over and we have a new administration and they'll be allowed in. That's what we think. Correct. Okay. Um, In terms of the SAT itself, I was reading that in 2020, 2.2 million students registered to take it on a weekend. But then I don't even think they got half of that number because the number of infections was was growing so drastically they couldn't accommodate. The test centers couldn't accommodate all the students. So was the SAT considered for admission in the past year? Yeah, so this is really tricky. It's actually kind of unfair the way that, I mean, a lot of this process is unfair to be very honest with you. Because, for example, like if, you're, if you don't have the right tutor from the very beginning or the right school system to kind of help you prepare for these exams, you're already at a disadvantage. But with COVID, it really showcased um, the different types of advantages some families and students have because we've had students who were able to fly to different states. We had a student, for example, in New Jersey who flew to Montana to take this test. We had a student from Florida who went all the way to Maine to take this exam. Um, and that's and that's like not a trip that you just take randomly the day before. You need to get there like a day or two, like three days before so that you're settled in. You don't have any jet lag if you're crossing different time zones because this test is super important. It's in the morning. So a lot of these families 
plan their entire week in a different state so that their child could take these exams because the test center in their hometown or where their school is um, canceled the exams. So there was a lot of cancellations. We even had a student who traveled uh, via plane to take this exam and they got absolutely no warning from College Board that their test center was actually canceled. So they oh flew, they did all of that, and then they, they weren't even able to take the test. Okay, so if you're talking about, let's say, the New Jersey kid who um, flew to, did you say Montana? Montana. Correct. Um, was was that like a perfect score? Was it because he was, he or or admission to one school depended on how well he did? Like, what, what was the situation? Why did For he do sure. that? Yeah, I think, I mean, this this student attended private school um, in New Jersey, and really the, the whole thing around it was, you know, colleges said that they were, quote unquote, test optional. You know, if a score is optional and you do submit it, it could only help you if it was a good score, obviously. Uh, but because the student went to a competitive high school and this student was a junior, um, there was not much time left, or rising senior, there wasn't that much time. And his classmates already took the exams that his classmates already got near perfect or perfect scores. So if he didn't have a test score, he's going to be left behind because let's say an app, let's just give, to give you an example, if there's two students with very similar backgrounds, GPA, extracurriculars, let's just say it's pretty much similar, but it comes down to the SAT score and one student has a perfect SAT score and one student doesn't submit anything because it's quote unquote optional, who's going to get in? Obviously the student with the score. So just by the colleges allowing students to submit these scores, um, that's, that's essentially why students went all over the country to try to take these exams. We had parents who were on hold for three, four hours with College Board trying to uh, reschedule their uh, canceled exam and so forth. So it was pretty chaotic, but that's why. If they just said they won't consider it, if colleges said that, then it really wouldn't have mattered. But also at the end of the day, College Board is, I mean, they're a nonprofit, but they also made a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, so <laughs> so they're also, if you think about it, they want to keep these tests and they want to be relevant. Yeah, it's a business. I have so many more questions for you, Chris, but we'll get to them when we're momming today returns right after this. We're momming today with Christopher Rim, the CEO of Command Education. Look, my kids are still young, but I do all the time think about, okay, how are we going to get them into the best college possible at the best price possible, right? Get a scholarship, kids. Um, so so what's your advice to parents right now who who are who are looking at prospective schools what what do colleges want to see in students for sure so i think the biggest thing that I can kind of start off with is a lot of these top schools are looking to build a well-rounded class you see they're not necessarily looking for a well-rounded student so don't try to do five to ten different activities or be the president of four or five clubs focus on one thing and be really really good at it and be dedicated that's what they want to see because let's say if you're really interested in engineering, don't join four different engineering clubs, work on one project or conduct research with one professor that you might have cold emailed at a university you want to go to and see if you can shadow that professor, conduct research as an assistant over the summers. Be kind of think outside the box and see how are you going to be memorable? Because at the end of the day, if students are applying to top tier schools, it's almost a given that you have the grades and now the SAT one score or the ACT, you have those. So what's that thing that's gonna make you unique? So for example, if Harvard or Stanford or Yale wanted to accept students and fill the entire class with students with perfect GPAs and test scores, they could fill that entire class over a few times over. 
They're looking for interesting students who are unique and memorable. That is so, that's mind boggling to me because I just, I just remember going through all this myself. I was, I was a good student. I was the jack of all trades and the master of none. Um, And that's exactly what you shouldn't be right now. You, you, like you said, you want the well-rounded class, not really the well-rounded student. You want a student who, who can pinpoint and focus, but would you say that that could be a negative in a sense? Because let's face it, you know, a lot of kids go into college thinking they're going to do one thing and they wind up finding something else that gets them excited and that that trajectory totally changes. Yeah. And I think that's completely fine and actually normal. You know, when I was applying to colleges myself, um, all throughout high school, I wanted to um, be an engineer. And then like right at the end of my junior year in high school, I was like, you know what, maybe I want to do something in law or in political science and study that. So that's kind of where what I was truly interested in. And I volunteered and interned for different campaigns and things like that in New Jersey, where I grew up. And that's why I applied to Yale as a political science major. I ended up graduating with a degree in psychology because once I got to Yale, I took an incredible intro to psychology class with Professor Marvin Chun, and he's not the, he's now the dean of Yale College. Um, and it was just an incredible class, and I, w- I became kind of obsessed with the material. So that's kind of what happened. And you know what? A lot of these colleges want to give you that space. So at Yale, for example, you can't even declare your major until the end of your sophomore year. They want you to try new things because that's how it goes. I mean, there's people right now, my friends, there's a lot of people who don't know what they're interested in or passionate about. And that's normal. It takes time for that to develop. But for high school activities and things like that, they want students to not be scatterbrained. And by what, what I mean by having a singular focus is don't try to be the president of five clubs just to be the president. Actually try to have an impact. That's what's okay. important. You are making me so jealous right now because Yale was my dream school, Chris, and I did not get in. Um, and I remember I, I actually, I mean, I I, had good, I was good. You know, I was valedictorian. I, I did everything I need to do. I actually called the school and I said, why did I not get in? And they they remembered the essay that I wrote. I wrote it on the movie. Oh, my gosh. Wait. I actually can't remember. Oh my God. It was either pretty woman or working girl, which is so girly in general. But I, I did this whole big creative thing. And, and the lady said, we remember your essay. And then just told why I didn't get in. But the essay, is that still part of the SAT? Because while Yale said no to Lauren Simonetti, they remembered my essay. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the essay for the SAT exam is very different than the college essay. So the essay for the SAT is now gone. Um, So it's not going to be offered anymore, effective immediately. So there's nothing students need to do extra for. Obviously, the college application essay, the main personal statement on your common application is going to be very important because, you know, they have one less score to kind of look at. So they're going to kind of evaluate your writing skills. They're going to evaluate your story and what you write about on your college essays. So your main personal statement on your common app and the school-specific supplemental essays um, are going to be more important than ever. Okay. And last question. If you um, were giving advice to parents right now to, to really put their kid in, in the best position possible to getting into a top-tier school, um, in one of their reach schools, what would your advice be to them um, yeah. if you could frame that in a way how it could be different? for 
this coming year than it was last year or in 2019, if 2019 was a more normal year. Like, I, I guess I'm saying, how has the pandemic changed everything? And with that, the advice that you would give? For sure. I think it's really allowing your child to take risks. I think that's number one thing. I work with so many families um, with with children with very set schedules. Uh, an entire month is planned out. All their tutors are scheduled like months in advance. The student has no time to really kind of explore their own interests or passions and really try new things. If they want to, instead of um, being in back-to-back, um, I don't know, camps this summer, if it's whether it's in-person or virtual, allow the student to kind of get a summer job. Allow your child to um, do something that they might be interested in because those are the types of experiences that students will be able to talk about in their college applications in the most authentic way. And I think that's what's really important. You can't manufacture this process. You know, you have to be authentic. You have to be genuine when you're navigating this. So that's kind of what I have to say. I think taking risks, being memorable is important. These admissions officers are reading thousands of applications. You know, if your essay is about something about how you traveled somewhere and you learned XYZ or this was a hardship that you faced. Well, you can talk about that, but try to make it memorable because ultimately the person reading your application um, is going to forget about it in five minutes if it's generic and if it's boring. You cannot be boring. You need to be a storyteller um, through your essays and application. Um, And and one more question because it just dawned on me. Um, Homeschooling. We've I've, I've done a lot of stories um, on the growth of homeschooling because of COVID-19. And it fascinates me how um, parents are able to, A, get their children to listen to them, but also, you know, keep, raise these very smart children who get into very good colleges. In your experience, have how do homeschool children do in terms of getting into the best universities? So I would say we only have a handful of students who are doing homeschooling programs, and it's typically not the parents who are teaching them. It's a third-party service. So for example, we work closely with Tiffany Soria from Novel Education. They're an elite um, bespoke homeschooling agency. So they, they will provide the full-time teachers if needed. We have some teach some she provides some teachers who um who are also live-in teachers. So they travel with the family. Um, so that's one, So they have an accredited program that they work with um, for that. We also have some students who are involved in, like registered and enrolled in like Stanford Online High School. So it's typically the parents that, I, the families I work with, it's not the parents doing the actual homeschooling. Thank goodness you finally admitted it. Oh my God. You are making so many parents feel better right now because you know <laughs> you talk to like the National Homeschool Association and they almost not intentionally make you feel bad. Like, well, a good, any parent can homeschool and da, 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 da. And you're like, yeah, but no, not it's really. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. There's so many other things uh, parents have to take care of, you know, and if you have more than one child, like it's, it's very difficult. You know, we, we've had families that we refer to Tiffany and novel education where they, um, they had three, four kids and they thought two teachers, two full-time teachers were going to be enough. But at the end of the day, they needed one teacher full time for each child. So, so yeah, so it's a tremendous amount of work. You have to cover a whole wide range of subjects. There's foreign languages if you're in high school that you consider. I mean, there's no way you can just do it all. <laughs> you made so, you literally made so many parents feel better. Christopher Rim, thank you for momming with us today. We do appreciate it. 
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.